0: okay do it again we'll do it again. well come to x ray Ted movie i'm one half of your hosting team matthew fisher i'm the other half ryan whedon we are two guys that used to date now we don't nope
1: we just get together every monday and talk about movies pretty much exclusively but not
0: we're not exclusive <laughs>
1: It's funny, before we hit
0: record just now, we did spend a, a large amount of time talking about movies. <laughs> we really did.
1: Off, <laughs>
0: off the record. We spent like 90 minutes talking about movies, and I'm like, oh, are we ready to start this podcast now?
1: <laughs> That's
0: funny. I
1: have something to tell you, Matt. Is it that Margot Kidder died today? Time stamping our
0: podcast? That's right. She did. 69. Sexiest age. You think her and Richard Pryor are up in heaven arguing? <laughs> Is there arguing in heaven? I mean, I feel like that goes against the grain of what heaven's all about. Yeah. If you've been married to someone for like 60 years and like, you know, your your wife dies and then like you pass away and you meet up, are you still going to bicker like an old married couple in heaven? Yeah, good question. But what if you enjoyed the bickering? Is it really heaven if you can't bicker?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Logical fallacy heaven. <laughs> Straighten out your know, story, this... God. <laughs> This religion thing seems cooked up. That's right, Pope. I just unraveled your whole story here. (laughs) Look out, Catholicism. (laughs) Because Matt Fisher just found that thread, and he is tugging it. (laughs) Apologies to all of uh, our religious listeners. (laughs) Our devout Catholic listenership. Just uh, bask in the glory that we are wrong. (laughs) What, uh, What was your favorite Margot Kidder role? I'm gonna go... With Black Christmas. Oh, okay.
1: Super sad story for her. Yeah, she had sort of a she had some mental problems.
0: Yeah, she she was like fully manic depressive, mm-hmm. and like was homeless for like a week or something. Like just yeah had a break, and I hear she got you know her act together. You know, got the right combination of medication and and you know therapy, and you know got her feet on the ground after that. But that's good.
1: Yeah. Take care of yourselves, mentally, <laughs> everyone. I don't want to find out that you're in some person's backyard.
0: Uh, yeah, Margot Kidder. I mean, she really was like the best Lois Lane. I like Amy Adams. She's not Lois Lane. Fucking what's her name? What was her name? I don't even remember what. Kate. That. Uh, was it? Was it Kate Bosworth? But. Ba- ba- Be- Beckinsale. Bach. back Spockensworth. Yep. Whoever she was, she should have been played by Parker Posey. (laughs) (laughs) Unnamed actress who played Lois Lane. Agreed. But no, Margot Kidder, she looked the part and she really figured out like the sort of comic book heroine sort of thing. Yeah. Those first two Superman movies do a great job of capturing the vibe of comics from that era. Uh, And she seemed to be right on that wavelength, so... It's hard for me
1: not to remember her being buried in a car.
0: It was an emotional moment for all of us. Yeah.
1: And now I have an irrational fear of being buried in a car. Really? Did you listen to our Descent episode? Yeah, I don't remember a lot of car talk,
0: though. Well, just being buried by
1: rocks. Oh. Gravel.
0: Oh. Yeah. And you think it stems from Superman? Probably. Hmm. Yeah, I saw that movie
1: at a very young age. An impressionable age. Like, it didn't matter that he reversed time. I was still very scared.
0: Oh. So, you're scared of death even if you can be brought back from it? Yeah. So,
1: like, Flatliners
0: just terrifies you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's the scariest Joel Schumacher movie by far. (laughs) And that's saying something.
0: By the way, did you know he wrote the screenplay for The Wiz? No. Isn't that crazy? I think you forgot that our audience did not hear us talking about the whiz off mic. I saw the whiz this week. We were talking about that earlier. It's topical
1: in our two and a half hours that we were talking about movies before we hit record.
0: You know, Ryan, and I got to talk about movies for at least 100 minutes before we hit record. Yeah. So if we ever sound exhausted... We got to, you know, get our jaw muscles in. Line. <laughs> Red leather,
1: yellow leather. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> oh boy. I want to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, go for I've it. I've been saving this. I my parents asked me to do the like spit in a cup and mail it off to get your DNA sequenced thing. Mm-hmm. I did it. I don't care if I'm in the system, whatever. I figure if I need to spit
0: in a cup and mailed it I to your spit parents. No, I
1: didn't mail it to my parents. Oh. <laughs> I mailed it to ancestry.com. Oh, I just love the idea of like federal express. <laughs> this, <laughs> needs to be in... spit. <laughs> this needs to be in Colorado in 24 hours. <laughs> Can you get it there on time? <laughs> uh, but my results came back today. And I'm white. <laughs> <gasps> yeah i am solidly northern europe just born out of temperate fjords yeah which explains my pale pasty skin and uh my love of what do they eat uh <laughs> sure <laughs> and cheese yeah uh it's in my blood
0: what percent homosexual are you? Did it tell you that? It did, but you had to pay extra to find out. Yeah, and you're like, I already know, 69%.
1: <laughs> the sexiest
0: percentile. <laughs> you <know>. And, and <laughs> the remaining 31% is still bi-curious. <laughs> it's uh, dairy-sexual.
1: <laughs> I shop... Some you know at the grocery. I shop sometimes at the grocery store. God,
0: you're just like everyday
1: people when I need
0: sustenance. And uh I know that you're a big shop podcaster <laughs> and all, but to think that that you don't send your help to go to the grocery store for you—that's yeah.
1: Just... We, I mean, until that HelloFresh job comes in, I'm gonna have to shop for myself.
0: I, I just picture you locked away in your editing room. I shall not be disturbed. <laughs> like uh the phantom and phantom of the paradise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while he wrote his cantata uh
1: you know oddly enough my office looks a lot like that weird oval egg place that he was working in I
0: slept there when I I cat sat for you Yeah so you know
1: yeah, yeah. it's uh difficult to sleep with all those consoles everywhere <laughs> You get used to the knobs but is what I'm saying
0: I got used to them a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that tickled me just right.
1: (laughs) I think we can pivot from that. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people get off on dairy, some people get off on
0: knobs. Some people get off on car crashes. Funny you should mention that, Ryan, for that brings us to today's movie, David Cronenberg classic, Crash. It's a movie about, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Symphorophiliacs. Oh, there's a word for this. Yeah, I, it's one of those words that Merriam-Webster did not have <laughs> a pronounce word or button for. so okay, okay. I couldn't hear it aloud. But um, that's what it looks like, symphorophilia. Okay. But it's a word meaning people who are sexually aroused by accidents or tragedy. I guess the other big one is when buildings catch on fire. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a common one for people wow. in that category.
1: I just assumed this was some sort of weird made-up thing that J.G. Ballard was like, this will make a good story. <sighs> so the
0: word symphorophilia came after the book was written. I don't know if JG Ballard had just like tapped into something and like they defined it later or what or if he was just making shit up. Before we get into the movie, I like the main character in the movie is James Ballard. Right. And the author of the book is JG Ballard and the J stands for James. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like does he adhere to this sexual orientation when i looked up him as an author i didn't see too many books out there like he wasn't super prolific Mm -hmm. and even of the books he'd written very few had been turned into movies which uh really limits your exposure to (laughs) me then uh he did write a book called high rise that was turned into a movie right we've talked about it on this podcast yeah and i hadn't seen it when you watched it but i, I did watch it in preparation for this to sort of kind of give oh, a feel okay really different though yeah. like i i wouldn't be able to tell that these were like written by the same person right just based on those two things i would credit cronenberg with that i you know i i think so too because in the movie high rise i think they took more dialogue directly from the book
1: it seems like a much more straightforward sci-fi concept. Yeah. Whereas this movie feels like he took some of the ideas that were presented and took it in a different direction.
0: Yeah, because the dialogue seems a little sparse. David Cronenberg can write dialogue pretty well. Like yeah. If you look at The Fly or you look at Videodrome, his... Uh, male leads are hyper articulate. Yeah, like they are—they got motor mouth going on. <laughs> and this is not that way at all. So I feel like that must have been a conscious decision to keep the dialogue very minimal. I mean, I don't want to dive
1: right into it, I there mean, is a scene. I'll, I'll dance around it so we can get to it later. There is a scene that the first time I saw this, I was like, "That is the some of the worst writing." the worst sexy writing I've ever heard in my mm-hmm. life. And I just wrote it off as like, David Cronenberg is obviously on drugs or doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but then this time when I saw it, I had to think like, no, he did that on purpose mm-hmm. and there's got to be a reason for it. So I, I think th- I
0: know which scene you're talking okay. about.
1: <laughs> I had to think about it. And when we
0: get, th- let's, let's arrive at it naturally. I don't want to just yeah. like jump into that. So, I mean, a synopsis of this movie is actually kind of simple because it's not like a really heavy piece plot movie it's essentially like some people who have a certain type of fetish for crashes Mm -hmm. Uh, in the beginning like they kind of incorporate plane crashes and then it kind of narrows down to car crashes but it's just this like cabal of people who fetishize being in car crashes seeing car crashes and it excites them sexually And this specific fetish just leads them down dangerous roads. I I mean, you don't need to see see a movie to know if if that's what gets you off. (laughs) Like, you're gonna get some scars. Yeah, it's a
1: weirdly amorphous movie in a lot of ways. I mean... It really is just sex
0: and car crashes for a lot of it. Yeah, it's 100... (laughs) On the surface. It's an hour and 40 minutes. And it's just kind of that. There's definitely a lot more to it than just that, but not in terms of plot. Like, there's yeah. subtext to it, and there's sort of David Cronenberg's feeling on sexuality in it. Sure. But the movie, and we'll talk about it when we get to the end, is sort of like this thing only leads you in one direction.
1: I'm but- looking forward to talking about this movie with you because i have a lot of really half-baked thoughts okay. <laughs> i don't know i don't know i trust david cronenberg he's, he's a very capable director has made very many movies that i i enjoy and i think that he knows what he's doing so it's hard for me to just write this off as like what a weirdo <laughs> and i really tried to make a lot of connections meaningful connections in, and i i have some half-baked
0: ones we'll we'll, we'll get We'll talk to about it. So when I was watching this, I felt like this was the philosophical opposite of, say, the sacrifice. Okay. So when we were talking about the sacrifice, you were talking about, like, you know, you have a problem where it's just, like, a white guy telling me, like, this is how life is. Sure. This is how the world works, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this is the opposite, where it's like, this doesn't tell you anything. It just asks a bunch of questions. Yeah. And the onus is on the viewer to put those questions in context. And that's a bold move I feel for a director to to just throw a bunch of stuff out there and let the audience piece it together. It's not really like
1: judging either. I feel that it's not necessarily about people who are sexually attracted by car crashes as, as much as it is about like people who fetishize something and it could be anything but it just in this case it is a very uh destructive thing
0: yeah i mean this fetish the way that cronenberg portrays it it's like it's like a beyond gender beyond just yeah. like standard attraction uh They're
1: almost like Attracted more to cars than to people,
0: and it's like the being in the moment because we we do see James Spader and Elias Cottiaz mm-hmm. kiss, yeah, and uh,
1: probably bang. more, yeah. Uh, we, we don't s- get that in the NC Seventeen.
0: <laughs> we get a uh, Rosanna Arquette and Holly Hunter right uh, feeling each other up, Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it just kinda seemed like while there might be gender preferences, there's no line. Like James Fader, playing the character James, Ballard, yeah. He doesn't rigidly conform like to only having sex with women, I guess I should say. Yeah. And in uh the scene that I think you're referring to Should we just do it? Let's just deal with this. <laughs> this is a it's a troubling scene. Well, I mean, she's talking about him having sex with Vaughn, Vaughn. Uh, Elias Kotez, uh-huh. and it's not like it's killing his boner exactly. No. And the, it's, okay, the words
1: she uses make it sound so unsexy. It's oh, not yeah. sexy talk. She says like, semen and penis and, and anus. anus.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine what his anus looks like? Describe it to me. Of now, you know, being the straightliest Puritan that I am, I've never participated in any sort of body talk, <laughs> but I've read some stuff, and I feel that when you're engaging in uh, the quote-unquote dirty talk, that you try and use more colorful <laughs> words rather than like words ripped out of like a, a medical journal. Right. Like she's like, you know, would you kiss his penis or would you suck it? And would you thrust your penis in, in his, his anus? anus?
1: <laughs> it's so unsexy. And I think this time around I was like, Okay, so it's cl- they're being clinical. They're very clinical about it. And I think that speaks to like a fetish in general. Sometimes it needs to be very strict and it's almost like outside of like enjoyment in a way where it's very in your brain.
0: So she's talking about this while getting fucked. Mm-hmm. Like James is actively fucking her while this is happening. Yeah. And she's asking a bunch of questions, and he's not answering. Have you ever sucked the penis? Oh, oh, do you know what semen tastes like? Have you ever tasted semen? It's working for her, definitely. Yeah. It's not exactly throwing James off his game, though, either.
1: Yeah, so that's it's kind of interesting, because it's like, is she saying that stuff... Because she, she's not upset that he's not answering. She just keeps asking questions. So she's saying it to just get off, get herself off.
0: My thought is that she's going through dirty talk like the way that you would read like a user's manual. hmm Like if you were to read a textbook on sodomy, it would say things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, if sex were a car, that would be one of the user's mm. manual chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way that I took it this time. It's been a long time since I'd seen this movie. More than 10 years. And I'm positive the first time I saw it, I'm like, this is weird. And, like, gave it no second <laughs> thought. And watch it this time, it, it felt clinical to, like, the point where, like, it was purposeful. Yeah. Deborah Unger... What a brave actress. Oh yeah. I could see 10,000 actresses turning this role down. Like <sighs> she gets her butt kissed. <laughs> I mean the first scene is like her putting her nipple on a like a small little puddle jumper. Yeah, in like the first minute. <laughs> yeah, and then like some random dude that we never see again is like kissing her ass. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, so that's what I was going to say. We should bring this up. They're already like sexually adventurous couple like they're doing cuckolding stuff and like they they go and sleep with other people and then talk about it immediately but it sounds like they're kind of bored with that a little bit and so james spader's character jg gets in like a car accident and then that sparks this new thing between them and they sort of like explore it
0: you know well the, like we see i um... Catherine Catherine? or I think it was Catherine because that's also the name of uh fucking from basic instinct oh uh Sharon Stone I almost said Naomi (laughs) Watts um and I when I was watching I was like oh Catherine that was uh, like they both have Catherine's in Mm. them. uh so they're sort of relaying or explaining their, their sexual dalliances to one another near the beginning while they're looking over, like, Los Angeles traffic. Toronto. The movie takes place in Toronto? Yeah. Oh. All right. He's Canadian through and through. I mean, I knew that old crony was a Canuck, but... uh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: I gotta say, one thing I, that really struck me this time was the um, complete lack of, of greenery like, this, the scenery that goes on around them is all metal, glass, concrete. It looks like we've, like, built this playground for cars. Mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. like worshipping them in a way. Um, and it's not until the very, very, very last scene that we actually get any pop of green.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Which I don't
1: have an answer for that entirely, but uh, I did notice it this time. And the color, I, that's a, that is a a that is something I liked a lot about this movie, on this viewing was the the color scheme is very deliberate, and also just uh,
0: the setting is very. And Howard Shore's score for this. Oh my God, I love it. I lo- it it's, it he Howard Shore typically is fairly traditional in his in his orchestration. Mm-hmm. You know, strings, brass. You know, you know what an orchestra looks like. <laughs> Uh, but he chose electric guitar for this one, it's and so it gives good. it that metallic sound to it. Yeah, and like the jangle sounds like metal bending or glass breaking. Yeah, and it really captures the mood of the movie.
1: And the actual music itself is strange uh, chords. Okay, you know, like the the actual like musical theory behind it is it's very unsettling Mm -hmm. feeling it makes you feel like this is off but not unpleasant Mm -hmm. even just but definitely strange
0: yeah 100 percent. but i really good i really dug it i really dug the score for this one me too the opening credit sequence where we actually are introduced to the music is just oh it's really great, and it uh, the way that the credit sequence is played out, it's like cars driving past. Like yeah. we get like headlights behind the the names in the opening credit scene, and
1: the letters of the of all the words are like metallic looking. Mm-hmm. And the further on in the credit sequence we get, the more dented the letters are getting.
0: Oh, I didn't notice it's that. So
1: it's a great credit sequence. It really is. I mean, all that said, it sets it definitely sets the mood. There's no joy in this movie. Like these people you don't get the idea that these people are excited to be having this sex. <laughs> you know?
0: So one of my things is like this is a this is a movie about people with with a specific fetish or sexual orientation mm-hmm. that have n- there's no refractory period in this movie. There's no release. Uh-huh. There's no laying back and having a cigarette. Like they are constantly In the tension of this desire. Even after they're done having sex, they don't actually seem to be relieved of the tension that they're like aiming for. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I kind of was thinking about that as like, so if you're in a car crash, well, let me go, let me back up. So there's a parallel that he draws a lot between like dents in metal. And like scars on your body Mm -hmm. as sort of like there's some parallel going on there and I kind of chalked it up to the fact that like these people get in these accidents and for for a second they felt alive you know and like this adrenaline rush you know like this is this is living and uh they fetishize that and blah 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 but then also like sex can kind of be that way too like you get outside your head for a minute and you're just like you know you're you're something else for a little bit it, it always ends like it has to at some point
0: yeah it's like w- when you let yourself go into like that moment of passion like you kind of lose track of everything else
1: yeah and so there's this like struggle to keep that momentum going or keep that moment going for as long as possible um and we kind of get that with like when uh Catherine is being chased in her car by Vaughn mm, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, he's not really hitting her with his car, but he's definitely, you know, getting really close to her bumper. He's
0: kissing her butt, but yeah. not penetrating. It. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And it's sort of like, she's into that. She's because she's very calm about the whole thing. She's just very, just keeps driving. You can tell that she's doesn't know what to feel exactly, but like, you know, that feeling, the, that excitement is
0: there. Mm-hmm. Um, Debra Unger, she really nailed like the icy blonde, like just like the too cool for school uh, femme. I mean, not femme fatale, but like the icy exterior, like the impenetrable like persona. I mean, I I can't think of many other movies that she's been in really right off. I can't think of any. But it's like this was like you get her ass in the first scene and then in the second scene when she's hanging out with James Spader on the balcony, like you see her ass again. Yeah, she just pulls up her skirt. Uh you get full pussy shot uh when they're going through the car wash, which I so the car wash scene, there's like no dialogue, but there's so much to unpack that like I honestly feel like we're in over our heads here <laughs> with with a scene like that. It's hard too because I mean we've we mentioned this like
1: the the movie is literally people having sex and then there's car crashes yeah it's 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 hard to express how interesting this movie can be if you if you look past the surface level of it because that scene is insane
0: yeah i agree with you and the sound of it is insane because like you're there it sounds like they're really going through a car wash and it has like the weird sounds mm-hmm. and you're seeing like the brushes, or, or what I call, uh, when I was a kid, I used to call them uh, the tentacles. Okay, yeah. Uh, as they're, like, going over the car. And But the way that Deborah Unger, because it's Deborah Unger, Catherine, uh, Vaughn, and James, they're all in the car. And it almost seems like Catherine's not into it. But right. it, it's like she's emotionally shutting down. But it's it's not a rape scene either, but there are parts where she's like taking Vaughn's hand and like pushing him away. Right. Or seems to be trying to struggle out of it. Right. But I there's not a point where I, I would say that she's not enjoying it. It's just, it almost feels like she only wants the visual of the car or the, the sensation of the car. She doesn't want... V- to feel vaughn or see vaughn mm. she wants to see the car
1: yeah and like she's almost more into the actual objects like right like she's not actually into the experience
0: of the crash which i think holly hunter's character by comparison absolutely is so, uh, so this is one thing that i wanted to ask you and, and i think the scene is set up to ask this question when we're introduced to holly hunter uh-huh. It. James uh, and her collide right. car accident. Her husband gets <laughs> out of his car through the windshield into James's windshield. You get the and-
1: impression that he was like standing on the front passenger seat, and as soon as they hit, he like launched himself through.
0: Well, so James and I don't. I didn't take down Holly's name. Doctor Remington or something. Right? Uh, I don't. They make eye contact. In that car accident, yeah, and she starts struggling for her seatbelt and rips open her her blouse or her shirt, mm-hmm. and then the scene cuts. And part of me is like, was her shirt being ripped open an accident when she was trying to get her seatbelt off, or was it that like her sexuality was like overtaking her and that she was like doing it as an act of sexuality?
1: I think B. Yeah. Yeah, I think she was just so turned on maybe a little combo of the two, but mostly B, she was just so turned on. Because that theme, I guess you could call it, I don't know, light motif of a woman exposing one breast mm-hmm. it goes throughout this movie. And it's it's almost always a sign of I am I'm hot now, <laughs> you know. Like it's that it's in the first minute when uh, Catherine puts her boob on the on the, plane. on the plane. It's in the car wash scene. She mm-hmm. pulls it out, and we never see double breasts in this movie. Which, or well, we do, I guess. But um, a lot of times it's just one getting pulled out.
0: And Rosanna Arquette has like that brace, and there's like a, just it, it circles
1: one breast, but not the other. Which to me. Kind of speaks to the uh, clinicalness that we talked about earlier where it's like, well, if you know how one works, you know how the other <laughs> one works. You don't need
0: to see them both. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. That's what
1: I was thinking. I don't know if that's proper or not.
0: But uh... But that scene that we're, we're, where we're introduced to Holly Hunter and she, she pulls her boob out, that's one of those scenes where I'm like, Th- this is asking a question and not giving us an answer. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel so much about the movie that it's it's asking something and it it never gives us an answer, which maybe plays into the theme of not providing relief Mm -hmm. uh, because these characters are existing in like a constant state of sexual excitement almost, and they're not getting that release. So maybe Cronenberg is, is asking the audience these questions and not giving us answers in a, in a way to sort of, you know, make us, in that same mindset mm-hmm.
1: can they even ever get the release that they want other than like death <laughs>
0: well that, that that plays into to the ending uh w- when we get there i guess i think the last line of the movie kind of plays into what you're saying there
1: well then while we'll backtrack a little bit still focusing on holly hunter's character mm-hmm. what do you make of them watching the crash test videos
0: oh man that scene so, is it sticks in my mind I like how it like the tape player like jams up, yeah. like right before the crash, and Holly like stands up. She's like, "Where? Where's the remote?" Like, <laughs> the way that like she stands up, and starts wrestling around. It's like me when I drop my McFlurry spoon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, uh, um, where where is the? Uh, I'm 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 sure we see this again in slow motion. Closer, I mean in detail
0: no i mean it's like pausing a porno before the money shot like yeah you're just getting to what you paid for here <laughs> but i i get the impression that she brought them over and
1: she's like oh i've seen this one a hundred times and it's just like,
0: oh she definitely says something like i know this tape like i've seen this tape or something like yeah. that. yeah and, and then
1: it calms her to sit once it starts playing she sits that sits back down the first thing she does is she just like reaches for Everyone crotches yeah, near she's, her. And she's she, like, "I just need a crotch to
0: touch." Yeah, she's got Rosanna Arquette on her right, right and then uh, James on her left, and she's feeling up both of them. And then she, and then
1: they're like, "Are you okay now?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, now it's okay." <laughs> and like that scene, and the the one we talked about earlier with the with the anus uh, talk. Those two scenes, when I saw this the first time, were the ones that really stuck in my mind because they're just so strange. Like, I've never felt comforted by putting my hand on someone else's junk (laughs) that I can remember. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just a strange way in my mind for her to comfort herself in that moment. Like, she's working herself up to this. And it almost doesn't seem... But it doesn't seem pleasurable,
0: you know? Yeah, and, and that's what sort of what I mean. Like, there's no refractory period for it. It's like she sees what she wanted to see, but, like, even in a relaxed state, like, she's still going for arousal. I don't know. It's a weird state to be in, I guess. I guess as dudes, we're sort of used to, like, a climax and a release. Mm-hmm. But with ladies, like, they may not necessarily have that. Like, it could be, like, a slower letdown or it could be a more sustained... Sense of ecstasy here. Yeah, I have a feeling that David Cronenberg's in tune with these needs. Sure, Uh, I I saw Dead Ringers. (laughs) I feel like he knows vaginas. (laughs) I feel like he'd be a gentle and thorough lover. (laughs) But watching this and just the way, because you know, I I don't know what is Cronenberg and what is Ballard in terms of like. Yeah, I was wondering
1: that a lot too.
0: But (sighs) I feel like Cronenberg sucked a dick in his day. (laughs) yeah you got some rose coming out your nose there what what evidence do you have for this well it's it's i mean it stems from a this movie aside i would say that cronenberg is ggg sure That, that he's whatever you throw at him he's probably up for
1: Uh, Do do you think he did it as research for this movie? (laughs)
0: No. What?
1: Maybe Naked Lunch. That's where he's like, I really need to get
0: in this mindset. I think Cronenberg, he is open to all avenues of pleasure. Okay. So I bet that if he was dating some kinky lady and was like, I want to have a devil's threesome, he'd be like, yeah, let's do it. You can't say that that he's not a fan of the ladies. Like, we're getting boobs all over the place. There's ladies kissing ladies. There's ladies fingering ladies. We get, I mean, the the closest shot we get of genitalia in this is Deborah Unger in the car wash scene. Yeah. And, like, that bush takes up the whole frame. Mm. But, put it to him, if you caught David Cronenberg in, like, a moment, I bet he would absolutely have sex with a guy. If he has not already in his lifetime. Because I also feel like he... He seems open to experience. You know, Jeff Goldblum was pretty hot before he started becoming the fly in The Fly. Oh, man. He could rip my arm off. <laughs> I feel like he, he at least finds beauty in, in the male figure. Sure.
1: I got to say, the like homoerotic tension between... Uh, James and Vaughn is good, mm-hmm. and I don't find Vaughn attractive. But the way he allows Vaughn to sort of like creep up on James, and the way that it's sort of awakening in James' brain that he's that he wants to also have sex with Vaughn—it's subtle, but it's well done. Like you feel that tension and excitement that that is building between them
0: it, it also plays into to my feeling that that this specific orientation is less concerned with gender than what we're used to oh yeah while they might have gender preferences, being caught up in the moment and acting upon these desires, it, it's more about finding a willing participant than finding the, your gender, the gender which you prefer.
1: Yeah, it's more like they're just car crash sexuals than yeah. um, any kind of human sexual.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, they, they, like
1: when um, Holly Hunter and Roseanne Arquette hook up, it's just. In the car that was crashed. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what's thrilling to them more than, like... Or at least it comes across that that's way more thrilling than them being together. Or, like, just before that, when uh, James and Roseanne Arquette's character hook up in the car, it's, you know, he's fucking her wound.
0: Like, oh, yeah. It's it She's got of, that gnarly scar, like, on her leg, like, yeah. beneath, like, the, the stockings that he rips. For
1: her, I'm imagining it's about like a memory of a car crash. So it's like him having sex with that part of her is like bringing her back into that moment
0: a little bit. Like the uh, whatever piece of metal initially ripped through her flesh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that goes back to what I was talking about with like scars and dents in cars kind of being the same thing. Like bringing you, it's a reminder bringing you back to that moment. Mm-hmm. We also we also see tattoos in this movie which is a type of, you know, scarring. And so it's sort detailing. of detailing. Like, yeah, and it like they're there to kind of remind you of something. You're able to tell a story based on that, you know. Mhm. So yeah, I don't know. Like but then I wonder like are they trying to be cars i don't know like they, this this feels like a dead end i don't feel like it goes anywhere really
0: yeah i wouldn't go as far to say that but they're definitely trying to make that connection like that how they try and relive these things so we're introduced well we're introduced to devon in the hospital but like we're not introduced to like what he's about necessarily until they he's reenacting the james dean car crash question for you yeah
1: Would you pay money to see a car crash scene like that?
0: <laughs> I'm gonna go with no. What? I'd just be worried. <laughs> like I
1: would, I would pay upwards of twenty dollars <laughs> to see something like that. Wow.
0: I mean, they 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 stress that they're not wearing any padding or helmets, and that their safety is purely in the hands of the stunt drivers. And, poof, I don't know. I mean that one stunt driver gets pretty hurt, but and this goes back to my like there's no refractory period. They they get him out of there. The the Department of Transportation breaks up the whole party. <laughs> we go back to uh, Seagrave's place. Uh, that's where we meet Rosanna Arquette's character, and his uh, Seagrave's wife is there, and they're like,
1: "I'm sure it's concussion." Well, we're familiar enough with that then, aren't
0: we? But they immediately start going into like, oh, next we want to do the Jane Mansfields. Right. And he's like... what oh, really big tits. Out to here. So the audience can see him get all cut up and crushed on the dashboard. He's still suffering. <laughs> he has not recovered from the accident that he was just in. He
1: takes a hit off the dube and he's like, let's talk about the next one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And that's what I mean, like, they, they, even though they were physically in a car crash and got what they really desired, they still don't have that release, that sense of, like, ecstasy. Yeah. Or at least it doesn't last the way that, that you think that, you know, you and I, as people who, who get off fairly normally, depend on after we get off. If, like, if every time you got off you had to just turn around and get off again
1: you're just like that was nothing yeah i'm not i'm not satisfied
0: in any way and i i that kind of speaks under your like this is joyless for them and it's because like this only this doesn't even really momentarily sate them like they need to do this but even after they've done it they still need to do it almost immediately
1: yeah It must be very frustrating. (laughs) I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, this is something I think about as someone who's, who it's fairly easy to get off. Um, You just have your your dual flared base dildo and you're good. (laughs) Molded for my uh, specific cavity. Yeah. mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I read like Savage Love and I'm just like, oh my God, you got, does it really take this much thought to get you off? Like. That's fine if it does, but I just don't put that much work into it. I just feel like, you know, make tingle my, my dingle and we're good. <laughs> like, I don't know. It doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it takes that much work for me. So like th- this is taking that thought process to an extreme of yeah. like, we can only do this thing if my body is in physical harm, you know, like they know there is a risk of dying every time they do this and that's maybe part of the thrill maybe that's the ultimate part of it would be to have your body ripped to shreds by the glass and steel in the car which the um jane mansfield guy does eventually yeah
0: like vaughn is like you couldn't wait for me you did the jane mansfield crash without
1: me does that mean that he wanted to do it with that guy? Was he just like, you were supposed to wait for me?
0: Or what? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say, but I think it was in the uh, Raki double feature where I was trying to remember the name of the philosopher who like talked about sex and death a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The philosopher's name is Schopenhauer. Oh, there it is. <laughs> There's our release. I even... <laughs> I even
1: Googled German sex death <laughs> philosopher.
0: Please tell me what came up.
1: A lot of biology websites. Oh. I know. Boo. It wasn't very exciting. but
0: Yeah. Schopenhauer w- was the, the philosopher. There it in the is. Okay. Because um, I was thinking about that a lot in this movie. And... I guess I, I guess we can talk about the the last scene, but I'm also gonna relate it to when James meets Holly in the hospital. Okay. So, Holly Hunter's husband died in that car accident.
1: Yeah. Do you ever hear her talk about it? She seems not upset, except that she had to go to the funeral,
0: <laughs> and she's upset that she has to have she has to pay to have the yeah. car scrapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She seems inconvenienced at most. <laughs> So the very end, uh, the climax sort of starts when Vaughn dies in a car accident. Spoiler alert! Yeah, he drives off a highway like down into like a lower level and onto a bus. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that they like reveal that with like a person on fire running out of the bus. Yeah, it's I'm really like, good. Oh, that's that's and like just the way that the car is like penetrated the bus. I'm like, uh, uh that's a good way. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're sad, but they're not, like, distraught. Yeah, they're like, I can't wait to fuck in that car. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they're thinking. (laughs) So, there's, like, a semi-intentional accident after that that that, uh, Catherine is in.
1: Right. uh, Using the car that Vaughn was driving.
0: And she's thrown into that grassy knoll area. Mm -hmm. And James comes and, and looks at her, or looks at the accident, but he's... If you watch the scene, he's looking at the car. He's not looking at Catherine. Oh, interesting. Or at least at first, like he—he's looking at the damage of the car and if it did anything to like her leg. Then he looks at Catherine after that, and he says,
1: "Maybe the next one."
0: Meaning, like, maybe next time she'll die as if it's like a thing to look forward to. Yeah, and I think it's because like they know that the logical endpoint for this fetish is to die in a car accident. Yeah. Like that is what's going to happen to him. And I think Holly Hunter's not upset that her husband died for this very reason. Like she knew that this is the endpoint of where this lifestyle leads. She's like jealous of him almost. I maybe y- y- you could say that, yeah. Cause I mean I don't know. It took her what a day before she started fucking James Spader. <laughs> well,
1: and also, I mean, that last line maybe next time is also mirrored at the very beginning of the movie. It's bookended by that because after they're they're talking about their cuckolding scenes. Yeah, she's like, "Did you make her come?" And he goes, "No, we were interrupted." And she goes,
0: "Poor darling." <sighs> maybe-
1: so that just equates, you know, coming with death again. There we go. Schopenhauer.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 my like rational brain in this, I'm like, where are they getting insurance? Like, who's giving them liability insurance? <laughs> also, who are they determining who's at fault in these accidents? I'm like, that's how my like rational brain's working. <laughs> uh, that, okay, so that actually brings up an interesting point. I, normally,
1: I love to pick apart a movie like that. In in that way and being like, oh, you know, like the all-night car wash. I'm like, oh, working at the <laughs> graveyard shit. the It's ultimate. almost as
0: bad as working at the all-night piano <laughs> yeah, museum know, right? in Who Midnight Madness. That?
1: Who wants that shift? But, like, th- that's a, a strange spell that this movie casts on me. I'm not going to say it does it to everybody because I know that's probably not the case. But for me, I'm just unable... To think that way, like I'm so curious where this movie's going all the time. A
0: lesser movie, I would have been like, "There's no way these people could have gotten insurance." <laughs> but there's something about this specific movie because it casts such an otherworldly tone. Yeah. That like, even though that question enters my head, like I don't take that question seriously. Yeah, the spell is
1: never broken in this movie. No. For me, even though there's tons of problematic things. Oh like, yeah. Like what? What is Rosanna Arquette's like? Uh, appliances brace What thing? is that with like a little joint uh, Compartment on it and stuff like that Like what the fuck
0: is I that I mean she must have just gotten her legs fucking totaled In some <laughs> car accident But that also plays in like Rosanna Arquette's a hot piece And presumably a hot piece would think Oh I'm ruined now Because my legs were fucking ripped to shreds And I can barely walk She's just like I've got a new hole now <laughs> Yeah Yeah <laughs> <laughs> In the circles that she runs with, like, she's an even hotter piece now. Yeah. It's eroticism taken to its
1: logical Extreme. and clinical conclusion. Yeah. And it turns it into sort of a horror show in a way. Like, I mean, it's per, it's so Cronenberg to, to do something like that. Like, take something like this and then take it to its darkest conclusion
0: yeah what's the the line like uh the reshaping of the human body by modern
1: technology
0: which is something that like cronenberg has explored for a long time Mm -hmm. like even in his early films he's gone into that and it almost kind of feels like not that he like gave up on sex and death after this movie but I kind of feel like this was the, the intellectual end point for that chapter of his filmmaking.
1: Yeah. This movie is
0: way better on second viewing, I gotta say. Oh, yeah, yeah. First I, time through, I was just like, what? I was like 21 when I saw this initially. Like, I didn't know anything. Like, yeah, I knew I was gay, but like, I don't even think like I knew sexually like what I was really into mm-hmm. at that point. Watching it now, it... It definitely is a different breed of animal.
1: Yeah, I actually the first time I saw this was only a couple of years ago, like two or three years ago, and oh. I just I blew it off. I was like, this is not a good Cronenberg really? movie.
0: Really? Yeah, I I didn't dislike it. I just wrote it off as weird. Like I didn't I didn't really think about it too much. So last week you were talking about how like this is on your list of movies for the podcast on, but for on your list that you want to talk about. Yeah, that kind of seems odd that you would choose a movie that you weren't really crazy about.
1: I, I wanted to do it because it was a movie I knew that would be good to talk about. Okay. And it was a movie that I knew needed a rewatch. And I love Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. So it was But I I feel like I kind of can get my head around most of his other movies. But this one is a real head scratcher. Mm-hmm. I mean still, even after the second viewing, and I liked it a lot more this time around, I still don't feel like I completely understand it and I'm not mad about that. I'm not, but I, I'm still going to withhold whether or not I liked it because I don't know if I do. I still don't feel
0: like I know enough to make that kind of judgment call. I'll, I'll say, like, I definitely like the movie, but I'm with you on the fact that, like, I don't know if I've really figured out, figured figured it out. Yeah. Like, I can't. You know, early on, I was like, those movies about people who are sexually aroused by car crashes, like all the scenes are just people having sex or be- people being in car crashes. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there, there's obviously more to it than that. But And I said, like, the car wash scene. I was like, we're out of our element here. Like, this this scene's bigger than than our thinking. Yeah. And
1: I feel bad, in a way, for Corona Bird because I, this movie is very polarizing, i found. Like, people either love it or they hate it. And uh I don't know if it really should be judged that way like it feels like it, any any movie that's this ambiguous and only ambiguous on further thinking, which yeah. like is another barrier is tough because it's like it's a movie that asks you to look past the surface and then once you do it only offers questions like that's. You're going to get a lot of people who aren't happy with that.
0: (laughs) So it's funny, looking back at my hard art exploration and how some of those entries didn't hold up under close scrutiny. Mm -hmm. But here I'm going into erotic thrillers, and these movies only kind of get richer the more scrutiny that you put under them, Mm -hmm. which I kind of feel like says something about how maybe certain directors view eroticism and, and sensuality
1: we've also just for so far for this uh season done two really powerhouse directors like yeah i'm a big paul verhoeven fan and and i'm a big cronenberg
0: fan and, and so. these are two people that that have like built a career on sex and violence yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know they know what they're talking about
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not their first rodeo <laughs>
1: I I think I said that uh, Basic Instinct is Erotic Thriller 101. Yeah. This feels like we've jumped to (laughs) 405 or something. (laughs) It really feels like a leap.
0: guess just a couple final notes at the very beginning when uh mr james ballard is having sex with that camera girl uh-huh uh, he's rimming her i can't think of a lot of movies where a straight guy is rimming a woman does it even happen that often <laughs> yeah as someone of the homosexual persuasion it happens pretty often i where mean we're from. it's like
1: level two yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've made it to the underground level of Super mario brothers <laughs>
0: well i guess uh what do you got for us next week pretty excited about this pick matt okay
1: you know uh father's day is coming up sure is it's gonna be this sunday and i wanted to pick something that was uh you know a holiday appropriate movie okay so i'm choosing world's greatest dad the Bobcat Goldthwait oh, movie starring Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Yeah. Okay. I know you've seen it, but uh, I'm just going to ride this dark comedy train, <laughs> I guess.
0: I actually really enjoyed it when I when I saw it uh, at SIF years and years ago. Yeah. But yeah, I remember enjoying it, so. Nothing
1: pairs with erotic thrillers like dark comedy, <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I could have done Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, but that feels uncomfortable in a... Uh, <laughs> season of erotic thrillers I don't know that one. Oh, that's the movie Bobcat Goldthwait made before World's Greatest Dad about bestiality oh, <laughs> Jesus don't want to bring that into the mix here
0: okay cool. cool
1: cool cool Cool.
0: let's plug our junk and get the fuck out of here go to our new website xratedmovies.com it's got literally everything we've ever done there's pictures of us Tool. so you can see how white I am follow us on twitter at xratedmovies we tweet sometimes. Yeah, we tweet respond us. to tweets. Yeah. yeah.
1: Throw your words at us via Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at ratedxmovies. Mm hmm. You can also throw words at us there or give us any of your emoji likes that you want.
0: And if you want to contact us directly, x.rated.movies at gmail.com is the best way to do that. hmm. It's private and personal. Wow, it sounds like you're gonna be subscribing to our slash flick or something.
1: <laughs> that that's gonna be our Chuck Tingle, isn't it? Like Banged in the Butthole by x.rated.movies at gmail.com. What have you done to me? What is this season? Oh
0: man. Okay. Alright.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll see you uh, next week for World's Greatest
0: Dad. Bye! Oh, bye.